Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Hello and welcome to Education Matters presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Keith Poston. Each week we will have a central topic. This week it's school resources. Across our state, public schools are being asked to do more with less. Eight years after a crippling recession forced significant cuts in state spending, including in public education, many key funding areas still remain below pre-recession levels. We'll explore with our guests, including two teachers who have felt it in their own pockets. Now, before we tackle each show's main topic, we open with a segment we call Edlines. It's a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Last week, Nicole Hurd, CEO of the College Advising Corps, which is based in Chapel Hill, was at the White House receiving a Champion of Change for College Opportunity Award. She was one of 10 people nationally to be honored. The College Advising Corps has nearly 600 trained college counselors in high schools across the country, serving in public schools with large low-income populations. They help students apply for college admission and financial aid. They coach them on interviews and entrance test preparation. Now this might look like some sort of spin class, but students at Martin Middle School here in Raleigh are learning math while using their new desk cycles. These are devices placed under a desk that people can pedal like they're on a bicycle. Math teacher Bethany Lambert heard about them and she thought they might be an answer for her students with all their pent-up energy, distracting themselves and others. In addition to local news, Bethany was interviewed on national news and the BBC. Now, as a lifelong fidgeter and foot tapper myself, I mean to get one of these desk cycles up here. Um, the U.S. Supreme Court opened its new term this week. On the docket are several significant cases that will impact public education, including special education and government funding for private religious schools. Stay tuned for updates as those cases move forward. And finally, great results last week came out of the College Board as North Carolina students posted gains in both the SAT and advanced placement tests last year. They outpaced national resource results. North Carolina students posted increases in both math and reading scores, while national average scores declined in both. Our schools and our students should be proud. Great job, guys. You can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org and click Education Matters to read more about these topics and other things that we'll cover this week. As I said at the top of the program, we're going to focus on school resources. As the new school year was about to begin, you may have seen or read news reports about local teachers forced to buy school supplies out of their own pocket. A recent survey by Agile Education Marketing found that teachers spent on average $487 during the 2015-2016 school year. More than three quarters of the teachers surveyed spent $200 or more. This may be why. Take a look at these numbers. State funding for many basic school supplies is down. As you can see on this chart, funding per student peaked at just over $60 per child in 2010-2011 and then sharply declined, bottoming them out at $28 per child the last two years. It's rebounding slightly this year to just over $30. School supplies aren't the only area that has seen reduction in funding over the last few years. As you can see here, our schools have seen reductions in textbook funding. 
down 38%. Teacher assistant funding down 37%. Non-instructional support down 21.4%. Yes, some areas are definitely up from where they bottomed out as the national economy cratered in 2008, 2009, but North Carolina is simply not investing like we were before the recession. While teacher pay gets most of the attention, budgets for things like school supplies reach right into the classroom. With us today are two teachers who are gonna share their experiences with us. We have Jasmine Lauer. Jasmine is with, from Sanderson High School here in Raleigh. And we have Renisha Best, who is with Olive Chapel Elementary in Apex. Now Jasmine, mm -hmm. I first heard your name back in August when the News and Observer did a story about reduced funding for school supplies and about the legislature eliminating the tax-free shopping weekend that was forcing teachers like you to buy school supplies. How much are you spending? Is this what's going on? Um, absolutely, and we're spending more and more every year than we did the year before just to meet the basic needs of students. Um, so you asked how much am I spending? I actually tried to kind of add it up this, this morning before I came in. So far this school year, I've spent around $475 on wow. supplies for my students in my classroom. Um, simple things like colored pencils, pens, paper, um, paper clips. So that survey know? was actually pretty accurate as right. far as what, what, what you think teachers. Now I have to follow up because that story that I mentioned, um, which we have posted on our website, um, generated a written response in the newspaper from probably the second most powerful legislator in Raleigh, uh, Senator Bob Rucco. He wrote a letter to the editor basically saying, you shouldn't complain because, um, because you're really so much better off than you used to be four years ago before all the tax cuts and pay raises. What, um, yeah. That must have been kind of surreal. It was, it, it, it was very frustrating. It really was because I do make more money than I did pre-recession. Um, I don't make what the state promised me pre-recession my salary would be at 17 and a half years, but I do make more money than I did. However, I don't believe under any circumstances that it's appropriate to say the salary I'm given for the work I do should be spent on supplies for students. That's not my obligation as a teacher. It's the obligation of the state to provide a free and public education. Right, Renisha, mm -hmm. what's going on at Olive Chapel and you know, with you and with, um, with teachers that you know there and across Wake County, is it similar stories? It's exactly the same. Um, I was listening to what Jasmine was saying about how much she spent and I'm a year-round teacher, so I've been in school since August 1st and my other colleagues at my school have been in school since July 11th. And just looking at how much I've spent, it's very close to almost $600. Wow. Um, and we just finished the first quarter. So we still have many, many more school days left to go. And I know there's gonna be a lot more coming out of my pocket because in order for me to continue being a creative and innovative teacher, I have to reach into my purse every month, sometimes every single week, to give them what they need. You know, I, 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 I have a hard time getting my head around the fact that we just don't have enough paper and pencils and crayons. I mean, we're not talking about special things. We're talking about basic supplies. Now, Jasmine, you've been in uh, teaching for 17 years? Mm -hmm. 17 and a half, I think you and a half, yeah. <laughs> um, Is it different today than it was when you started? Absolutely. Um, I teach high school English, so um, in, in my curriculum, mostly what we do is read books, right? That's what we do. Right. We read books. And so one of the things that we don't have like we used to are the supplemental texts. You remember from high school, we all remember from high school, taking home a copy of All Quiet on the Western mm -hmm. Front or Things Fall Apart, and we just don't have them anymore. Um, Last year, I bought a class set of books for my students because I wanted them to read a book that we only had 20 of 
in the book room and that wasn't enough for my students to read them. So we're finding that just not even to be creative and innovative like Ranisha said, but in order to be um, what I need to be to get my students the skills they need, I'm having to spend money on content even, not just supplies, but the things they have to have in order to gain their content knowledge. Renisha, what, what, what about them? How do the parents react? Um, I mean, I, I was a parent myself. I know I'm going to open house first day, mm -hmm. of, first week of school and get this big list of things that we could really mm -hmm. use. I mean, that's kind of the norm now. It, it truly is. And I have so many kids who come in and they truly can't afford it. So in order for them to continue getting what they need, I have to go buy it. Um, and we don't have textbooks at my school. So then I'm trying to find ways to recreate the wheel and find ways that I can truly give them the information and instruction that they need. It's very, very similar. It's across the board. So what do we need to do as a state? I mean, is it something, obviously there is a, you know, we've got, uh, we're going to talk about school funding on this show over the next, you know, several weeks, months. The state of North Carolina has an obligation to provide, you know, as you mentioned, a sound basic education. We also have the counties. Wake County is actually one of the better funded uh, school systems in the, in the state. Um, but yet we're still seeing this. What, what do you think we need to do? We have to reinvest in public education. Exactly. And we have to, um, we have to listen to the people of North Carolina who, if you ask across the board, people say, I love my kids' schools. I loved the schools I went to. I wish that we gave more to public education. And we need to start listening to the people of North Carolina who say it's important to us that we invest in public education. Right. I completely agree. It's, it's so important. You know, the education's the future. I know how cliche that sounds, but it really is. Right. And if you want to continue advancing North Carolina, you've got to invest in our kids. And it starts with the classroom. And I think it's really important too, not just that we that we talk about our obligation to students, because we do, but we have an obligation to them, but we also have an obligation to our state and to the employers of our state that we're providing a sound education so that we have a capable workforce. And, and I think not only private citizens, but I think corporations and businesses and universities all need to be giving this pressure to say, invest in public education because we need it. Right. Now, you're obviously seeing a lot of um, uh, children coming in, much more diverse uh, mm -hmm. student Absolutely. population than ever before. Um, obviously lots of differences in terms of uh, family income and where they come. I'm guessing things like um, the extra resources um, that you're saying that you don't have would make things a little bit easier to, to, to help some of the children who already are coming in kind of having less resources at home and then they're coming into school and, they're, and you're having to sort of ration things. That's, um, and I'd say probably Renisha will say the exact same thing, um, but in my classroom, my belief has always been that no student should come in and not be on a level playing field. So if I ask students to have a three ring binder, then everybody in the room is gonna have a three ring binder. If they can't afford it, or if their parents don't get them one for whatever reason, then I'm gonna provide that for them because I don't ever want a student to feel like they were ill-prepared because they couldn't afford what, what was needed in class. So a lot of times that's where all of that extra money comes right. that we're spending. We're providing for those kids who can't afford it also. Well, yeah. is, without, even with these challenges, is it still worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I wouldn't change a thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it every day. Y'all are terrific. Thanks so much. You <laughs> guys are you. great. We appreciate what you do every day. Up next, you'll want to stick around and hear from two people very engaged in supporting our schools at the local and state level. As we go to break, see if you can answer this question. The state budget for textbooks in 2009-2010 was $111 million. 
What is the textbook budget for 2016-2017? Welcome back to Education Matters. In the first segment, we talked about school resources, budgets, and heard from two teachers. Now we're joined by two individuals who work to support our schools and get their perspective. Thank you both for being here. We have Cassandra Watson. Cassandra is with the Wake County PTA, and Ashley Perkinson, who is with the North Carolina PTA. Now, Cassandra, I'm gonna start with you. You've been very engaged in the PTA. I understand you helped start one at your children's school, and now you're involved overall with Wake County. Um, I mean, what drove you to get involved with uh, PTA in the first place? Well, both of my parents were former educators, and I understand the importance of having a support unit such as PTA. Uh, my daughter started kindergarten back in 1998, and that's when I began my career in PTA. Now, Ashley, PTAs have been around for a long time. When, when was, I mean, actually, what is the history? It's around the turn of the last century. Oh, okay. So it has so, been a, okay, so a very long been, time. I mean, I remember fundraising events when I was in elementary school. I mean, I mean, who didn't love a cakewalk, Absolutely. right? I mean, <laughs> yes. um, but it seems to me that back then the funds were used for special projects. It was for like a new playground or a big trip or some kind of like fancy new equipment for the chemistry class. Right. But now, it sounds like you're buying, you're raising money to buy supplies. Yes, Keith, and I've been working with North Carolina PTA for about 10 years now, and we have seen um, that uh, trajectory, um, seen a, a switch from uh, really looking at forward-thinking projects uh, to uh, PTA supporting basic needs at schools, whether they're textbooks or janitorial supplies. Um, uh, so we have seen uh, that shift over the last few years. Right, which is, which is unfortunate because obviously there are um, uh, PTAs that uh, they raise a significant amount of money that could be, uh, let's, let's say, add-on things. It, 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 it actually only makes me think about some of the things around the, um, the North Carolina Lottery where you, you'd like to see Th you know, new things being done as opposed to just funding um, uh, certain projects. Necessities, yeah. that's right. And uh, the PTA's mission is every child's potential a reality. And, uh, and so if PTAs are really bound with uh, trying to help schools with some of those basic needs and supplies, um, then it, it, it does tie uh, the hands of, of really being able to look at some of those uh, unique new projects. Cassandra, has that been, has that been your experience as well? Is there, you're seeing um, uh, sort of fewer like, you know, new special projects and, and really things to, I don't know, kind of fill the gap? Yes, there, have, there has been. Um, as I was mentioning to Ashley, my daughter, when she went to kindergarten, her list to take to school was very short. There were maybe three to four items. And by the time my son got to school three years later, the list had gotten longer. And even as the years progressed, as they both got to high school, the list got even longer with paper requests, sticky notes, um, glue sticks, all these. I mean, there's just a long list of things that the teachers do need. And at Heritage High School, which is the school that I helped charter the PTSA at, we even did a supply drive to try to help the teachers 
get just basic supplies. Well, and the community is really generous about things like that. I mean, people they like are. to do that. I mean, you've got all sorts of programs, you whether, you know, nonprofits and, and, and churches and other, other organizations. Um, but uh, as we said, it does seem to be filling a gap as opposed to doing something special. In fact, I know when I take my own daughter out school shopping before the school year, You'll see parents out buying, um, you know, having a whole cartload of things at, uh, you know, a Walmart or Target or Office Depot. And then, of course, you'll see teachers uh, pushing on. They're buying the same things. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of like a little bit of both going on. Is that, and I know, Ashley, you've got, you've got kids in the schools, too. You, you see the same Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And the list grows. And then to hear teachers talk about spending four and $500 um, out of their own pockets. Uh, and it's one of the reasons that North Carolina PTA has really focused on advocacy. Uh, so not only are PTAs working within their individual schools, but also focusing on bringing our policymakers into our schools so that they can see those needs firsthand and um, can communicate uh, with the uh, teachers and administra administrators. Did you, um, I know you heard our, our first two guests, our teachers, they were both talked about spending $600 already. Right. Uh, does that shock you? Unfortunately, no. Uh, and being working with North Carolina PTA, we hear from PTAs throughout the state, and that does seem to be a constant theme that we're hearing not only from, from teachers, there is the T in the PTA, uh, but also from parents as well. Right. Now, Cassandra, I'm sure you've also seen a lot of, uh, I'm sure PTA probably uses this as well as individual teachers, seeing a proliferation of websites, uh, GoFundMe sites, donors okay. choose, um, another way to do it. But again, I mean, is that something that uh, you've noticed more with, uh, with teachers in the schools that you support and where your kids are? Well, not necessarily so, but I have seen it on social media. Um, I know that there have been instances where the teachers have come to us and said, hey, you know, can you fund this for us, we need this for our classroom um, as an individual PTA at a high school level. Um, not so much when it was middle school or elementary schools, but, and of course that was a while ago, but now um, I think I think that that is the case. Ashley, let me, let me wrap up with you. Obviously Wake County, we're, look, we're one of the wealthier counties in North Carolina, so you have PTAs obviously yeah. that can also raise a lot of money. That's not always the case in, in not just in Wake County, but in rural counties. Do you, how does, does, does PTA try to help those schools too? Absolutely, and, and it's one of the reasons that we do focus so much on advocacy, because where you have significant needs that aren't being met, uh, that really takes action from policymakers. And so PTAs really can't fill the gaps, and if they can't fill the gaps in counties like Wake County, they, they certainly can't fill the gaps in counties um, that, that don't have uh, the income rates that Wake County does. Right. Well, thank you both for what you're doing on our website you have links to how to get involved with your PTAs do great work when we come back we're going to East Wake County for our weekly leadership spotlight week, Education Matters will spotlight individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. These leaders could be principals, superintendents, people from the community, teachers, business people, parents, students, really anyone demonstrating leadership for our schools. This week we go to East Wake Academy, a public charter school in Zebulon, to hear from the principal of that middle school, Virginia Jacobs. Leadership Spotlight is presented by the Burroughs Welcome Fund. 
Advancing biomedical science by supporting research and education. I mean business, and I mean business about my babies. Every last one of these are my babies. I feel like any issue that they have is my issue, and I'm gonna be the first one to try to solve it. Whatever we do impacts how they feel about themselves. It shapes them as people. It shapes how they're gonna be as adults. No decision I make is about me. No decision I make is about teachers. They're, they're student first. Every decision is student first. I am actually just a facilitator of that. Those teachers are the driving force, and the kids just suck up everything they give them. I try to um, allow teachers who are leaders to be just that. But in a lot of places, teachers' voices are shunned. And I feel like if you have an opinion, if you have something, that, something that's gonna make a difference for us, say it. I wanna hear it. I like my teachers to be creative, to do whatever they needed to be sure the students got it. I have teachers that flip the classroom. I have teachers that video lessons. I have teachers that like to do field trips on campus. I like to have teachers take kids off campus for different things. School should be an experience. Students should want to be here, want to see, oh gosh, what am I gonna get today? So why not give them what they want? Why not give them that experience? Our kids are some of the best kids. They teach me just as much as I teach them. And, um, and so we want to be sure that our environment matches the needs of every student, no matter where you come from. And that if you leave here by chance, that you're prepared in any, any school and that you're prepared to go out and be in the real world and be able to be successful. Isn't she great? I can sure see why Virginia was nominated for our spotlight. If you know someone who deserves to be recognized, visit our website at ncforum.org and click on Education Matters and you'll find a link. After the break, this week's final word. Each episode of Education Matters will end with a final word. I've been in the workforce for almost 30 years, and I can safely say I've never had a job where I had to provide my own office supplies, my own paper and notepads, or buy toner for the office copy machine, or was encouraged to set up a personal fundraising website when I went to my boss about a new initiative that would help the company, or just simply needed something to do my job, a job I'd be held accountable to regardless. I suspect you've never experienced it either. That is, unless you're a public school teacher. If you are, then you know that's the norm. It's expected. Our state legislators wrote it into our state tax code, a $250 tax deduction for teachers who buy their own supplies. They obviously know that teachers are having to fill in the funding gap out of their own pockets. People who go into teaching do it because they want to teach, and nothing is going to stand in their way of teaching their students, even if it means spending money they really can't afford for basic school supplies like paper or a lunch for a child in their class who doesn't have money to eat that day, or maybe to buy extra clothes or coats to keep in the closet for a kid who needs them. They'll just do it. Renisha and Jasmine, who you met earlier, they would do it every time, I promise you. North Carolina ranks 44th nationally in per pupil spending. What that means is 43 other states spend more money on their children than North Carolina currently does. It's unacceptable, particularly given our state's long history of properly supporting public education. Funding schools shouldn't be political, but it seems like everything has to be nowadays. If this situation we described today sounds fine to you, then do nothing. 
but if it offends you like it does me, if you think our underpaid teachers shouldn't also have to buy classroom supplies, do something about it. Get engaged, support your local schools like the PTA leaders we met, but talk to your legislators who write the budgets, vote. I don't care if Republicans properly fund our public schools or Democrats do. We just need to get it done. Come back and see us next week.